Helen is going to read for us this morning. This is uh, from Galatians uh, chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. So just a short little section of scripture. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Thanks. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, um, guide us now uh, as we open your word. Uh, be the teacher, Holy Spirit. Uh, help me only say what you want me to say, uh, nothing more, nothing less, um, and prepare our hearts, uh, to come to the table, uh, that represents, uh, what you accomplished for us and feeds us spiritually with that truth, uh, in new ways we need it. Uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so, uh, I want to start us off, I don't normally start off sermons like this necessarily, but, uh, I want to start us off with a question, so you're going to need to put your thinking hats on for a second. Um, here's the question. How do you know if you're, and I'm using air quotes here, in a community? Like if you're on the inside of a community. How do you know that you belong, right? You're in. And what is it that actually gets you in, right? What are the requirements what are uh, the standards, kind of the spoken or unspoken, right, norms or things that say, I'm, I'm in, I'm on the inside, right, I belong, right? You have to look a certain way to be in, right? I remember being at a wedding down in Seaside and we were all told to wear all white to the wedding, which for the record, I don't have all white clothing. Uh, I have very little. I certainly don't have white pants. Uh, so we had to buy all this white clothing, and one of my good friends, a guy named Taylor Bruce, some of you maybe even know him, uh, he was like, I don't know, we're really serious about that, right? And so we are at the wedding. It's a white chapel. Everyone's in white. And he's in there in kind of like a faded blue sort of hue with like a oatmeal blazer on, right? And the whole service, the entire like homily to the couple was all about this white thing that we were doing together. And he was calling everybody like angels and all this sort of stuff. Like it was, yeah, it was like, we're just this, and it, we just kept thinking, except for you over there, <laughs> you know? He wasn't in, right? You have to look a certain way. Do you have to have a certain amount of money to be in? You have to have the same interests. We all are interested in all the same things. Is that what makes you in? You belong? You know all the jokes. You have the inside jokes. You speak the lingo. How do you know if you're in a community that you belong? Creve Hall, I'm the pastor at that congregation. Right now, we're finally in as a neighborhood because we got a mural. Y'all taught us that, right? Until you have a mural, you're not really officially in the neighborhood thing, whatever that is. How do you know if you're in? Why do I ask us that uh, based on what Helen just read out of Galatians? Well, we've been in, in a series uh, looking at the Apostles' Creed and then looking at scriptures, and we're not teaching the creed per se, but looking at scriptures that shed light on the doctrine that is encapsulated 
in the Apostles' Creed, which is uh, you know, a very succinct but very pregnant summary statement of historic Christian faith. This is, the Apostles' Creed is basically, if, if you are a Christian, this is what you say you believe, right? These are kind of the non-negotiables. There's lots of things we can kind of say, eh, I don't know about this and this. But if you're a believer, the Apostles' Creed is what you say you believe. And we're in the section where it talks about, I believe in the Holy Catholic, um, or some of the revised versions say the Holy Christian Church, because Catholic can kind of be confusing. Y'all aren't all Catholic, uh, as we would understand Roman Catholic, but Catholic meaning literally universal, right? The whole body. I believe in the Holy Christian, I'll use that word, Christian Church, the communion of saints. That's the section we're in today. And we're teaching that truth out of here uh, in Galatians 3. And what uh, that truth in the Apostles' Creed is saying and what this is saying in Galatians uh, is this. This is a part of the creed and the scripture is speaking to the fact that if you are a Christian, if you claim ultimately that you believe, like we've said all these statements before, I believe you know, in the Holy Spirit, I believe you know, Jesus, right? If you believe that your salvation is by faith alone in Christ and you believe in things like the Holy Spirit and that you've been given a new spirit, you've been given that Holy Spirit, a part of that reality, Scripture teaches this and we're gonna unpack it here in Galatians, a part of that supernatural spiritual reality now is, is that you've been placed in a new family, right? You've been placed in a new family. You're part of a new community. Scripture calls it a body. You're a part of a body and you're an important part. Every single one of you, if you're a part of Midtown East, you're an important part of the body. You're a citizen of a new city, a new community. You belong, you're in. If you're a believer, it's called the church. If you saw it there in these three verses, the word all is said you know, three or four different times. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ right? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the um, southern form of the Greek tense, uh, all y'all, right? Is basically what it's saying. All y'all are one in Jesus. All y'all are children of God through faith. That's what it's saying. So the first thing I want us to see in this, and this is what the creed is saying, but it's also what Galatians is saying, is one is we have, if you're a Christian, you have family ties, you, you are bound to one another. You are a family. Whether you live like one or not uh, is a question mark, but we are a family, right? When we say, I believe in the holy Christian church, the communion of the saints, I am saying this at the highest level, I believe something, and that is that I belong now to a body. I belong to a family. It says there, for you are all one in Christ Jesus if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's reaching all the way back to Genesis 15 and talking about God's covenant with Abraham, which was basically, without going into all of that theology, him saying, you're gonna have this giant family and it's not just gonna be your physical offspring. It's a spiritual family that's gonna come through this covenant that I've given to you that is gonna be fulfilled in Christ. So when you say, I'm a, I believe in the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, you're saying, I belong to this body now, a family now. I'm a part of something bigger than me, and it's not just about me. Being a part of this is not just about me. 
In fact, I'm not even a part of this body or approach this body primarily from the vantage point of what does this do for me, right? Don't we hate that when we're in families? When everyone, I've got four children, they tend to think that way, right? I'm in this for me, right? But if a real family, it's not I'm in this for me, I'm, I'm in this, I'm a part of this. And yes, I receive things from this, but I also give things to this. I remind at least the folks at Creve Hall of this often when we baptize babies and or adults, that baptism, it's very, it talks there about being baptized into Christ, right? It's very personal, it's very special, but it's not private, right? You're being baptized, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, you're being baptized into one body. You're being baptized into a family. So your relationship with Jesus is bigger than you, right? It's more than just how you and he are doing, right? That's what it means to be baptized into Christ, to be part of this family, to have family ties. It means that we are by faith united, scripture says. We belong to Christ and therefore being in him, we have died, literally. That's what baptism is, right? It's a death and a raising. I've died to this old life, this old self, this old nature. And I've been raised to a new life. I have a new self, a new nature. And in him, I've been given this new spirit. I have a new heart. My will is literally freed now to live differently. In him, I have the resources to live a new life. But that isn't just an individual life. That transformation should have relational and social impact. This body should do something in this community because we are all in Christ. It's a movement of God's people collectively remade, reshaped into a new family for a purpose. We have family ties. We are, it says there, if you're in Christ Jesus through faith, we are all children of God. So that may sound, you may hear me say that and say, okay, I've, I've heard that before, right? This is not something new to me. That uh, may not sound new, it may sound novel, it may sound very familiar. And we all have some sense of what it means to be a part of a family. Uh, oftentimes, a lot of us have been through therapy for these sorts of things, right? What it means to be a part of a family. And families are oftentimes, sadly, you know, they're dysfunctional. They aren't healthy. They're places of pain and hurt. But what Paul is getting into here in this church in Galatians, he's saying this family, he's lobbying that this family should look remarkably different. It should be different than any other community, any other family you've ever seen before. It should be a counter-cultural, radically unique thing. That's what the church was. That's what the church is called to be. Now, if that's true, if we have this family ties, I'm just gonna say this, I'm, you know, you may not be there with me, but I have a hunch that you might be. Uh, if that's true, and if I'm honest, there's a bit of a rub here for me with what I'm saying. And especially because I believe we are in probably, I've been thinking about some of the things that the early church faced and some of the things that we're facing that are unique to us that they didn't face. Like what would Paul be writing if he were writing into this culture, right? It's not that the truths aren't the same and don't apply, but we have challenges. Um, we, we are a hyper-individualized culture in a way that they didn't even have the opportunity to be. They had to depend on one another in ways we don't have to. We are so self-sufficient. 
So there's a rub here because I'm talking all about this family tie stuff, but we are, we are a bunch of individuals in many ways. We live like that. And we, we live in a culture and in a world where we struggle, I struggle to not make everything about me, right? The things I choose to participate in, oftentimes it's just, what does this do for me, right? It's about me. And we're even in a time where identifying with anything and kind of saying, I'm in, that seems to not be in vogue anymore, right? I've kinda, I'll kind of partake a little bit, but I'm not really gonna commit to anything, right? Especially organized religion, big C church, right? I think I read somewhere recently that Nashville, uh, there was a big kind of citywide poll. Nashville was the number one city in America where people identified to be spiritual but not religious. We're very spiritual, but we're not religious and we're not committed to anything, certainly not anything institutional or anything that looks like it has a form to it, right? And we're also in a time, I mean, you've obviously everybody's familiar with the term cancel culture. We're also in a time where if being a part of something is not working in my favor, I can just quit, right? I can just bail on it. We're in a city where you can bounce from church to church, from family to family, and this allows us to actually do something that I think really cuts against the grain of what Paul's talking about here, which is have a very a la carte sort of spirituality rather than live into this family ties ethic that is at the heart of what it means to be the church. We have family ties. And if you have faith in Jesus, you are in, right? You're in, you're in that. That is true about you. So to live as an orphan as though you are not in or to live as an individual as though you don't need to be in is incongruent with your identity. It's incongruent with who you are in Christ. We have family ties. Okay, so let's talk about these family ties a little bit more. Let's see how it works itself out. Point two, I, I, titled it, or I pointed this, and I don't even know if I like this point the way I framed it, but foregoing favorites, Okay. The very end of this passage, he says some really interesting things. He says, you know, that you're all children of God through faith. You're all baptized into Christ. You've been clothed with Christ. And then he goes, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So how should, if we're a family, how should this family be different? What Paul is getting at here at the end of Galatians is, is that there is a, you could use the word radical, but there is a unique unity, okay? Say that three times fast, unique unity. How now, brown cow, right? Sorry, Ron Burgundy in my brain for a second. Unique unity. Remember in the, in the creed, the communion of saints, right? The holy Christian church. Holy, what does that mean? The word holy means to literally be set apart. You're plucked up and you're set apart for this unique purpose, the communion of saints. And what was going on in the Galatian church was is that they weren't experiencing this kind of unity. There was still divisions in the church, right? They were still using things other than the gospel uh, to say you're in, right? And it was creating a lot of division, not unity. And Paul saying, no, 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 this should be the most unified bunch in the world and unified for a purpose. I've been reading a book called Canoeing the Mountains, very interesting book. Uh, it's a book on 
the state of the church right now and some about leadership, but one of the guys uh, in there said that it's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Just think about that for a second. It's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, so you're, you're a family and I've got a mission for you. It's that I've got a mission and that's why I have you as a family. You hear it? You hear the difference? This unique unity, this no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, but all one unity in Christ Jesus was the litmus test for the evidence of the work of God in the early church. It was how the Roman world knew that the church was something they had never seen before. Something spiritually was going on that was so magnetic that people who were on the Jewish end of things and the Gentile and the Greek end of things didn't understand what was happening with this group of people because there was unity in places that there had never been unity before, right? That people had been so transformed by the gospel of grace that, that two, really two factors were happening in the early church. One was an in, insane generosity. The, the kind of sacrificial giving, financially, time, person, that the world had never seen before. And, and it worked in conjunction with what we're talking about here. This, this new family that had this remarkable unity across ethnic, cultural, gender, and social boundaries, Right? They were all one in Christ. So what was going on is is that the way men and women were relating, because men and women did not relate well in biblical times. You could argue they still don't relate well, right? But the way men in particular were treating women, the way the Roman world saw that, and particularly even within marriage and monogamy, it was like, whoa. The way men treat women is so different because these men are in Christ, and these women are in Christ. The way that slaves and masters, and we're not gonna go into all of the, the way economics worked in those days, but the w- relationships between slaves and masters, radically different when people became Christians. The ways that different ethnicities, cultures, Jews, Gentiles, how they related to one are radically different. They loved and related to each other now as image bearers of God, right? brothers and sisters in Christ, where they primarily used to be identified by their differences. You're a Jew, I'm a Gentile, you're a man, I'm a woman, right? Now, because Christ had come in and done something, uh, all of the things that they used to identify by their differences, something had come in and surpassed all of those things. And it had become their primary sense of their self. And it was Christ. I have, ultimately, this is an expression of, I now, in this new family, I have a higher allegiance than being a Jew or a Gentile, being a man or a woman, right? Being a slave or a master. I have a higher allegiance that doesn't, hear me say this, diminish or dissolve the prior, right? Doesn't do away with male, female, right? Or Jew, Gentile, right? Gender or ethnicity or any of that, but it puts it in its rightful place, underneath Christ, underneath what Christ has accomplished. That's why it says they literally, think of it like a team jersey, right? Members only jacket. 
You guys had members only. You guys probably still wearing members only jackets. Those are back in, aren't they? Yeah. I am clothed with Christ now. That, that's my identity now. Not as a Jew or Gentile, not as a male or female, not as a slave or free. I'm clothed with Christ. It's a supernatural thing to get to a place like when the Holy Spirit works to get to a place like this where they would live into that reality. If you wanna go look at a psalm later this week, go meditate on Psalm 133. It talks about, it's, all, it's a psalm all about unity, right? And it's kind of a, you, know, you have to do a little bit of digging. It says how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. It's a good thing, it's a pleasant thing. It's good as in like when God created the world, he said, it's good. This is what I've created you for, is this kind of unity. And then it goes into talking about, it's like a precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard on the collar of his robe. It's like, what the what is that about? Aaron was a high priest, right? He was a mediator between God and man in the Old Testament. The New Testament talks about the fa- fact that we've been chosen and we're called a royal priesthood so that we have literally been reconciled to God. We have unity with him now so that we can be priests and priestesses, blessers of the city, of the community, of the neighborhood. Literally, when they would anoint a priest, they would pour so much oil on him, it would run down his robes and run off the floor. And it was, the image was, is the blessing just doesn't go on him. The blessing extends through him to everyone. That's true about us now, right? You're a kingdom, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Why? So that you might declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God doesn't have a mission for his church, he has a church for his mission to declare the praises of him, all right? The last thing Psalm 133 says this though, it is like if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. The dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. What is that all about? Hermon, a little topography lesson, Hermon was a very lush, rich vegetative mountain known for its dew literally so much dew on the grass you know that when you wake up in the morning it didn't rain but it looks like it rained on your grass that kind of dew right zion was the exact opposite rocky arid and what the psalmist is saying it's like this kind of unity would be as supernatural as if the dew that creates the lush vegetation on hermon actually happened over here on mount zion this rocky arid place What is the psalmist saying? He's saying it's only because of what Christ Jesus does that this sort of unity happens. It's a supernatural thing. But when the Lord supernaturally begins to work, it looks like this. Unity across cultural, ethnic, gender, socioeconomic, all one in Christ because of what Christ has done. So we have family ties, right? When the gospel starts to get traction in our life individually and as a community, we, we forego favoritism. We stop playing favorites. We stop making people jump through hoops to be in with us, right? Because we're in because of him, not because of us. Let me tell you, I have time for this? Mm. That's the classic Dave looked at the clock moment in a sermon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna float this out here as a thought. Uh, it's something I'm still wrestling with. 
Because um, everything I just said, you probably like, man, that's beautiful. And wouldn't it be beautiful if that were the, the truth about our church, right? The truth about our community, the truth about the church. But there, there's something that I see going on in our culture where I believe we're trying to accomplish the kind of unity that it's talking about here in, in the book of Galatians, right? But we're trying to achieve it uh, because we long for it without Jesus, though. We're trying to get to that kind of no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female, trying to get that kind of unity in our community, except we're, we're kind of sidelining Christ and trying to get there without him. Well, let me tell you, um, remember their union was built on their shared need of Jesus. They didn't have that unity without him, right? So here's the cultural pattern I see going on. We, we try to get this kind of unity through, um, I'm gonna use these two phrases and I'll explain them, total tolerance versus total depravity. Nobody likes to talk about total depravity, but we're gonna talk about it for a second, okay? Because we're all in the same boat. Total tolerance, or maybe you could say total freedom. We're gonna get our unity through our total freedom versus our total depravity. Here's what I see going on. I see it in me. We attempt to create a community where our union is built upon our commitment to freedom of expression and belief in all norms, right? Everybody's free to believe whatever they wanna believe. And that's what our unity is based on. It's almost like a unity based on what we don't have in common versus what we do have in common. It's kind of crazy. A unity built on a bunch of gathered individuals protecting and upholding our individualism as the highest expression of humanity and good. What I call that is, I call that being alone together. We're all alone together. Right? And if you've ever been a part of a community like that, you realize it's either this deep and it can't stand up to any sort of difficulty, right? And it's really, it's usually really fragile, right? But the Bible calls that sort of unity something. The unity around the freedom to decide for ourselves what's best apart from God is called sin. Right? That's what, that's where our unity is. So in our commitment to try to get this unity through total freedom, what it's exposing is where our unity is, which is our total depravity. Because biblical unity or union always requires sacrifice of self, right? Laying down of my life, laying down of my freedoms. Our union with Christ was costly, and it wasn't established by Jesus saying, I'm gonna tolerate our differences, right? Instead, he said, I'm gonna die for our differences because I love you, because I'm so committed to you. And our union is found in our shared total depravity, right? What total depravity, it's a theological term, it basically means there's no part of us, no part of creation that isn't impacted by sin, broken by sin, and so our union is found in our shared total depravity, our sin, but it's also in our shared need of his grace. That's where I find our oneness, right? That's our unifying reality. That's the communion of saints. Our union is built on that. 
I'm as broken as you are and in, in, in as need of grace as you are. And so we all, as we come to the communion table, we all stand on the same side of the table, right? We all stand on the same side of the table. Culture tries to create unity. We do this culturally by collectively letting ourselves off the hook for our sin or not even calling sin, sin, what scripture calls sin. Christians, what it means to be a part of this family, believers, right? Christians let Jesus let them off the hook. We don't let ourselves off the hook, Jesus does. Why, how? By taking our sin and its wages upon himself and giving us his righteousness and then saying you have resources now to die to sin and to live more and more to what's right and what's true. Why? For the good of the world that needs and longs for this kind of unity. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say about that. Time to come to the table. So, we have family ties. It creates this remarkable unity in the church where we forego favorites, right? But there is a family dress code and we get to practice it this morning, okay? Did you have a dress code in your family? Like, no? <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody knows what, what, what a dress code is, right? This is a moment where we put on Christ. It's something that, uh, when we say, I believe in the communion of saints, this meal was given to us to retaste, right? And remember and be renewed in what Jesus accomplished for us, that makes us us. Making us sons and daughters of a family, right? Because of what Jesus did, that means I'm all right with God now. I have union with him. I belong to him. But I also, I'm not just all right with God. I can be all right with my fellow man on that basis. That's what our relationship is established in and on. I'm free from a life of self-centered individualism. I'm free from a life of favoritism. I'm free from a life of judgmentalism or hate or self-righteousness or better-than-ism, right? Which is all the fruits of sin and self. So the communion meal is one way that the Lord has given us. He says, do this often in remembrance of me because he knows you are literally like a car. You're gonna drift. I'm gonna drift. We as communities, we drift. Systemically drift, right? So we have to choose to participate with the grace that's been given us. We have to choose to remain in him is what John 15 says, right? Remain in me. Stay in step with the spirit, Galatians 5 says. Have yourselves clothed with Christ. So you've been given a new identity, but I don't know about you, I know about me, I can still some days choose to not live in that identity. I can choose to not be a part of the family that I'm a part of, right? Paul knows that old habits die hard, <laughs> that family systems don't go easy, right? And old patterns have a way of rearing their head. I do it every time I visit my family, right? It's easy to shrink back and act like my 18-year-old self. So we come to the communion table literally to do what it says there, <clears throat> for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So as you come to this family meal, as we partake of this family meal, I'm gonna invite you, go ahead and put your kneelers down if you want to. If the worship team, you guys wanna go ahead and come on up. This is an opportunity to slow down and allow the Holy Spirit to remind you of what has happened for you in Christ Jesus. This is a place where we all partake of the same meal, right? His body broken for us, his blood spilt for us. 
And it's a meal where we are actually, by eating it, we are proclaiming, right? I'm remembering and proclaiming the fact that I needed his grace. I needed his perfect righteousness, his obedience, right? I needed his forgiveness. And so if you're in Christ this morning, you, you run to this meal. You, you savor this meal. Uh, you contemplate it. You take it in, and it's literally a means of grace that spiritually nourishes our heart and recalibrates us to who we are in him. So if you're in, your, if you're in Christ, if you've trusted him for you know, your salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, take this meal. If you're not in Christ this morning, I would invite you, come to him. Uh, the unity <laughs> and the community and the relationship that your heart was made for is found only in him. And so if you're not in Christ, I'm excited that you're here this morning. We're excited that you're here this morning, but Paul warns us, don't take this meal uh, because this meal is a act declaring that you believe something. So if you want to talk to it, I know any of these people up here, uh, there are elders here, anybody in this community, if you don't know Christ this morning, would you ask somebody, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus that makes this sort of supernatural relationships possible. So if you're not in Christ, please don't take this meal, but it's also an opportunity for us to examine our hearts. Um, and maybe the question would just be, where am I kind of keeping, uh, keeping my relationship just individually with the Lord, or I'm not really leaning into the family? I know it's tough, families are messy. Uh, Christians, uh, we earn the right to be left a lot of days, right? Um, but that's part of what grace and forgiveness is about is that we need to learn to be a community of repairing relationships, right? And so maybe that's what you need to do is repair your own relationship. Let the Lord repair your relationship this morning with, with the body here because you're called to be a family. He has a mission for you here in East just like he does for the folks of us over there in Creve Hall, all right? I'm gonna read the words of institution then I'll pray. You can partake of the meal at your own pace. I know you guys do it differently here, but I gotta, I gotta go to Creep Hall. So I'm gonna like run down that aisle. Uh, but use this, you know, this is not fast food. Slow down and ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, would you convict me uh, of what you wanna lead me in today uh, and then take the meal uh, as you're ready, okay? This is from 1 Corinthians 11. Paul's words. If I can turn my page. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, uh, thank you for this meal. Thank you. Um, Father, that uh, when we were at odds with you and could not close the distance, um, there would be no unity possible between us and you. You did everything uh, in order to establish that. Uh, Jesus, uh, forgive us for making small of that sacrifice, um, for <clears throat> not considering uh, the gravity of what you've done for us. I pray that that would fall afresh in our hearts as we partake of this meal this morning. And I pray uh, for my brothers and sisters here, I pray this for myself and for our community uh, and for our city, Lord, uh, that the church would wake up uh, and once again become a community um, of radical unity, 
that doesn't abandon the truth, but that speaks the truth in love and walks and works and um, lives in a way that is so attractive uh, to the world around it because it is such a self-emptying unity and a self-emptying love. Uh, would you make it so we know that that is like the dew um, of Hermon showing up on Zion? Uh, so Holy Spirit, uh, would you make that happen in your name? Amen.